ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we're on the chapter the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَدْعُوهُ بِهَا وَذَرُ الَّذِينَ يُلْحِدُونَ فِي أَسْمَائِهِ This chapter now is talking about the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Previously we had some chapters regarding names and naming. Here this chapter now mentions regarding the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we know that this is one of the categories of Tawheed. The names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, هذا الباب عقده الشيخ رحمه الله في كتاب التوحيد من أجل بيان وجوب إثبات أسماء الله وصفاته. This chapter has been mentioned here so that it can establish the obligation of affirming the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala min ajli an yubayyina at-tawassul al-mashru' wa at-tawassul al-mamnu' and why would that be mentioned in kitab at-tawheed regarding the names and attributes of Allah so that he can then explain what are the false types of tawassul that people do and what are the permissible types of making dua through tawassul of the names of Allah? So here he is going to explain this issue. Because this issue of tawassul, of taking a wasila, a means between yourself and Allah, it is something that many of the people have become astray in. From olden times to our time now, because the mushrikeen in olden times, this is exactly what they used to do. They used to worship their idols and say that we are only seeking intercession, tawassul, a means between us and Allah. مَا نَعْبُدُهُمْ إِلَّا إِلَى اللَّهِ زُلْفَى We do not worship them except that they bring us closer to Allah, as they claimed. وَيَعْبُدُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ مَا لَا يَضُرُّهُمْ وَلَا يَنْفَعُهُمْ وَيَقُولُونَ هَؤُلَاءِ شُفَعَاؤُنَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ They worship besides Allah, that which does not harm them, that which does not benefit them. And they say, these are our intercessors with Allah. فَهُمْ لَا يَعْبُدُونَ هَذِي الْمَعْبُودَاتِ لِذَاتِهَا so they do not worship these deities for the sake of the deities themselves. Rather, they knew that these deities of theirs, these statues, etc., cannot create. They knew these statues cannot create, they cannot give sustenance, they cannot give provisions, they cannot give life and death. فَهُمْ لَا يَعْبُدُونَ هَذِي الْمَعْبُودَاتِ لِذَاتِهَا لأنهم يعلمون أنها لا تخلق ولا ترزق ولا تحي ولا تميت وإنما زعموا أنها تتوسط لهم عند الله. They claimed 
that these deities of theirs will be an intermediary between themselves and Allah. Mimbabil wasila. They said this is a wasila between themselves and Allah. فَرَدَّ اللَّهُ تَعَالَ عَلَيْهِمْ فِي الْقُرْآنِ بِأَنَّ هَذَا التَّوَسُّلُ وَهَذَا الْعَمَلُ كُفْرٌ وَشِرْكٌ So Allah rebuked them in the Qur'an that this type of intermediaries, this type of intercession that they do, it is kufr and it is shirk and it is impermissible. And Allah has not legislated it at all. وَجَاءَ مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ القبوريون وصوفية ومن قبلهم الرافضة والباطنية كلهم نحوا هذا المنحاء الذي نحاه المشركون after the مشركون of the Prophet ﷺ the time of the Prophet ﷺ after them came the likes of the grave worshippers and the Sufis and before them the رافضة and the باطنية these types of individuals, they all have the same type of methodology as the mushrikun. They used to worship and they continue to worship to our time the deceased. They worship the deceased and they seek aid and assistance from the deceased. And they call upon a make dua to the deceased. And they slaughter for the deceased. And they make vows and oaths to the deceased. And then they say, نَحْنُ نَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُمْ مَخْلُوقُونَ We know that these are creations, they are just created. وَأَنَّهُمْ لَا يَخْلُقُونَ وَلَا يَرْزُقُونَ And we know that they cannot give any sustenance or provisions, we know that they do not create. وَلَكِنَّنَا However we, اِتَّخَذْنَاهُمْ وَسَائِلْ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَ اللَّهِ We have taken them as a means between us and Allah. We have just taken them as a means between us and Allah. And maybe they use an ayah in the Qur'an as an evidence. The ayah, أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ يَبْتَغُونَ إِلَىٰ رَبِّهِمُ الْوَسِيلَةِ Those whom they are calling upon, they are seeking a wasila to their Lord. There is an ayah in the Qur'an where it mentions they are seeking a wasila to their Lord. So is this a proof for them that you can seek to have a means, an intercession, an intermediary between yourself and Allah? Why not? What does this ayah mean? We covered it before in Kitab al-Tawheed. That ayah is talking about the permissible wasila which is obedience and worship to Allah. You seek closeness to Allah through your obedience and worship, not seeking the wasila to Allah through the dead people in their graves. This ayah is talking about a wasila which is your actions. Your actions and your obedience are a wasila for you to gain closeness to Allah. That is the correct wasila here being talked about in this ayah. Your actions and your obedience and your righteous worship upon sincerity to Allah. That is a wasila. That is what brings you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not the deceased in their graves. Not the angels and not anything else of that nature seeking to bring them to you, seeking to bring you to Allah. 
وَهَذَا فَهْمٌ بَاطِلٌ So this understanding of theirs that you can take actual wasail, the dead in their graves, etc., is falsehood. لَمْ يُرِدْهُ اللَّهِ That is not what was meant by the ayah at all. بَلْ أَنْكَرَهُ عَلَى الْمُشْرِكِينَ Allah rebuked the mushrikeen for having that understanding, for thinking that you can have deceased as your intermediaries between yourself and Allah, having idols as your intermediaries between yourself and Allah. And Allah said about their actions, سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى عَمَّا يُشْرِكُونَ Allah is the most high and glorified, glorified and the most high from what they commit and what they perpetrate of shirk. These wasail that they are doing, they are perpetrating shirk in that. And Allah mentioned about them, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَهْدِي مَنْ هُوَ كَاذِبٌ Allah does not guide the one who is a liar, a, a disbeliever. Those mushrikeen, liars and disbelievers, they were not upon tawheed and they were not upon the righteous worship whatsoever. بَيَّنَا أَنَّهُ كُفْرٌ وَأَنَّهُ شِرْكٌ So Allah highlighted very clearly, taking these means, these wasail, it is shirk and it is kufr and it is impermissible. Rather, Allah said, call upon me, call upon him, upon Allah, not upon the deceased in their graves, not upon the angels, not upon anyone else besides him. Call upon him, وَقَالَ رَبُّكُمْ اُدْعُونِي أَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ And your Lord said, call upon me and I will answer to you. Call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he will answer in the hadith it mentions, يَنزِلُ كُلَّ لَيْلَةٍ إِلَى سَمَاءِ الدُّنْيَا حِينَ يَبْقَى ثُلُثُ اللَّيْلِ الْأَخِيرِ فَيَقُولْ هَلْ مِنْ سَائِلٍ فَأَعْطِيَهِ هَلْ مِنْ دَاعٍ فَأَسْتَجِيبَ لَهِ هَلْ مِنْ مُسْتَغْفِرٍ فَأَغْفِرَ لَهِ That Allah descends to the lowest heaven in the last third of the night. Allah descends to the lowest heaven in the last third of the night. And he says, is there anybody asking so I can give him? Is there anybody making dua, I can answer his dua? Is there anybody seeking forgiveness? And I can give him forgiveness. I can give him that repentance. Forgive for him the sins that he has committed. This is what is mentioned in the hadith. Hence the scholars, they mention the great virtue of the last third of the night. The great virtue of the last third of the night, that a person, he awakens at that time and he makes the prayer and he makes the dua in the last third of the night, then it is deserving to be answered, or rather it is greater and more likely that it will be answered as one of the times of the answering of the dua. فَأَمَرَ بِدُعَائِهِ وَاسْتِغْفَارِهِ وَسُؤَالِهِ مُبَاشَرَةً so Allah commanded us to make dua and to make seeking forgiveness and to ask Him for what we need directly. Allah commanded us to call upon Him directly. And Allah knows everything regarding us. يَعْلَمُ السِّرَّ وَأَخْفَى Knows all of that which is hidden and concealed of us. All of our affairs and what is in our minds. Everything is known to Allah. يَعْلَمُ أَحْوَالَ عِبَادِهِ He knows the state of his servants, what everybody is in, what their situation is in, what their concerns are. 
Nothing is hidden from Allah in the heavens or the earth. So Allah commands us to make dua to Him directly. Whatever issue it may be, whatever your concern may be, whatever the affair may be, then turn to Allah and make dua to Him directly. Ask Allah for forgiveness for your sins. Ask Allah for guidance and to keep you firm upon the straight path. Ask Allah to make you from His worshipping servants. Make the dua directly to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ask for what you require. As for taking intermediaries, as for the people who go to the graveyards and start asking the dead people to take their dua to Allah for them, because they say things like, we have done too many sins, our dua will not be answered. But these people in their graves, they were righteous imams, will ask them, will make dua to them, so they can take our dua to Allah for us. And there will be a more chance of it being answered then. This is complete and utter falsehood. This is shirk that you call upon others, deceased who cannot even hear you, and expect that they will take your dua to Allah for you. That is exactly as the mushrikeen used to do. Taking intermediaries and taking intercessors between themselves and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in fact that is, that is indicating deficiency to Allah. A person who goes through deceased people or other people saying these people will take our dua to Allah, that is indicating your lack of understanding. Because that is like saying Allah is not capable of listening to your dua directly. The scholars they mention in this world, even the most powerful people, they are in need of having secretaries. They have to. Because it would be impossible for them to listen to everyone. Imagine the leader of a country. Is it possible for him to answer the letters and the emails of every single person in his country with all of the concerns that they send in to him? Impossible. He needs people working for him. He needs secretaries. He needs aides. People who will sift through the emails, check them, categorize them, work it all out, what needs to be answered, what is prioritized, what is not. He can't do it all by himself. Has 10 million people in his country, 20 million people. How is he going to do it? He needs people helping him. He needs secretaries. And for the people, for them to be able to contact him and to get some response, they need to go through that means. There will be regional governors. There will be regional people in charge. You go to them, you pass on your concern. They pass it on to the overall leader of the country. That's how it works in this world. But for a person to make that comparison to Allah is a deficiency and a criticism. Allah is not in need of any aid from anyone. Allah hears the dua of every single person. Whatever the language, whatever the dua, Allah hears from every single servant. Is not in need of any assistant, not in need of any secretary. Those types of affairs are for our weakness in this world. That is our deficiency we cannot handle or we are not capable of listening to everyone and doing all of that ourselves. The leaders of this world, they need secretaries, they need aides, they need assistance. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not in need of that. If you now say you need to go through the dead people, they will take the dua to Allah, you are affirming a deficiency to Allah. In this world, for the leaders, yes, that's what you have to do. 
You have to go through the regional governors and whatever councillors send your letter to the leaders. Because it is impossible for the leader to take the letters of 10 million, 20 million people in his country directly. He could not do that. That is the weakness of creation. But do not attribute this type of weakness to Allah and say Allah needs intermediaries. You make your dua to Allah directly as Allah has commanded us to do so. Then, the shaykh goes on to mention what are the permissible types of wasila and what are the impermissible types of wasila. The permissible types of wasila and the impermissible types of wasila. The impermissible types are when a person seeks to go through an individual in creation who has some honor or respect or status as he believes, then that is shirk. And that is exactly what the people they do these days. They say, this one, he is a great imam. Go to him, he will wipe over you, he will do your dua for you, go to him. Or this one in his grave, he was a great imam. Go to him and slaughter there. Go to him and ask him and he will take your dua to Allah. This type is completely impermissible and it is shirk. As for the type which is legislated, the type of wasila which is legislated, then that is the type whereby a person can seek that wasila firstly through his own obedience, through his worship and his obedience, his own worship, his own obedience. That is a type of wasila to gain closeness to Allah. Sincerely worshipping Allah, fulfilling the commandments, that is a means to seeking closeness to Allah. On top of that, there is the names of Allah. That is a type of wasila. How? Because when you make your dua, you call upon Allah, you call upon Allah through His names. So if you are seeking mercy from Allah, you call upon Allah and say, Ya Rahman, Ya Rahim. You use that wasila of calling upon Allah via the relevant names. You want to seek mercy from Allah, call upon Allah via the names indicating mercy. Ya Rahman, Ya Rahim. You want to seek forgiveness from Allah? So you say, Ya Ghafoor, Ighfirli. Ghafoor, one of the names of Allah. Call upon Allah via the name Ghafoor. Because you are seeking forgiveness. So call upon Allah via the name that indicates forgiveness. You want to seek repentance for a sin that you've done. So call upon Allah. Ya Tawwab, Tub Aliya. The one who is giving repentance, oft giving repentance to his servants, give me repentance. So you call upon Allah via that name. You require enrichment. So you say, Ya Ghani, Ya Ghani, Ighnini. The one who is self-sufficient and in riches from all affairs, then enrich me. وَهَكَذَا تَذْكُرْ فِي دُعَائِكَ كُلِّ اسْمٍ يُنَاسِبْ حَاجَتَكَ In your dua, you mention the names that are appropriate and suitable to the dua that you are making. And that is a type of wasila. You are making wasila in your dua by calling upon Allah via the relevant names to the subject of your dua.
And it is not suitable that a person does the opposite of that. Meaning you call upon Allah via a particular name, but then your dua is the opposite to the meaning of the name. For example, you say, Allahumma ghirli innaka shadidul iqab. Oh Allah, forgive me, indeed you are the most severe in punishment. That doesn't suit. You are asking for forgiveness, and you are calling upon Allah and saying you are the most severe in punishment. You are asking for forgiveness, then call upon Allah via the name indicating forgiveness. Not via something indicating severe punishment. So the scholars, they say, you call upon Allah via the names that are suitable to the dua that you're making. But as for something in opposition to the dua that you're making, contradicting it, contrary to it, that is not suitable. The second type of wasila that is possible, it's possible, is that you ask someone to make dua for you. That is something which is possible. A righteous person, you say to him, make dua for me. Remember me in your duas. It is possible. التوسل إلى الله جل وعلا بدعاء الصالحين إذا كان هناك صالح من الصالحين حي موجود تأتي إليه وتقول أدعو الله لي أن يغفر لي أن يرزقني أن يشفيني أو إذا قحط الناس طلبوا من الصالحين أن يدعو الله تعالى لهم بالغيث فهذا مشروع So if you were to go to a righteous person and it is not something you make a habit of and it is not something which is prescribed with persistence and consistence but if you were on an occasion, a righteous person, you say to him, remember me in your du'as for such and such too. Make du'a for me on such and such too. It is possible, it is permissible. So that would be something which is allowed. Particularly when it comes to the issue of droughts, and you're seeking rainfall, you're making the prayer of rainfall, you're making the supplication for rainfall, that type of thing, you go to the righteous people and ask them to do it on behalf of all of the people. Just like it is mentioned, when Umar ibn al-Khattab did that, he did it through asking who to make dua. Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ. Allahumma inna kunna nastasqi bi nabiyyina fatasqina. Wa inna nastasqi bi ammi rasulika qum ya Abbas fad'u. He said that we used to make dua to you, O Allah, for the rain through our Prophet. The Prophet ﷺ used to make the supplication and the prayer for us. And now we seek that same thing through... The uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, Abbas, who was alive there with them, that he is going to make dua. So that is a type of wasila, meaning a righteous person is making dua on behalf of everyone. So at that time, Umar ibn Khattab told Abbas to get up and make the dua. So this is a type of dua, you could say it's a wasila. A righteous person making dua on behalf of everyone else. But the person is alive. He's there, he's alive, a person of the sunnah. Not going to the dead people in the graves. Huge difference. Difference between the heavens and the earth. Between going to somebody alive and saying make dua for us. And going to the dead in the graves and saying make dua for us. And that's what the shaykh mentions here. أَمَّا الْمَيِّتِ فَلَا يَجُوزْ أَن تَطْلُبَ مِنْهُ شَيْئًا As for the dead person, it is not permissible for you to ask him for anything. You cannot say, اُدْعُ اللَّهَ لَنَا Make dua to Allah for us. And one of the biggest proofs for that is that narration that's just come by. When the Prophet ﷺ was alive and they needed, if they needed any dua from a righteous person, who would they ask? The Prophet ﷺ. And when there was a drought on one occasion, that's what happened. A man came and asked the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ made dua and there was rain. 
After the Prophet ﷺ died, did they still used to go to his grave and ask him for this dua? Oh Prophet ﷺ, take the dua to Allah, we need rain, etc. Instead, on this occasion, who did they go to? Abbas anhu. Why did they go to Abbas anhu? If it was permissible to go to the Prophet ﷺ, would the companions have even thought of going to anyone else? Does it make sense? If it was permissible to go to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ and ask him, then would you go to anybody else then? You'd go straight to the Prophet's grave? If it was alive, why would you want to go to anybody else? If it was permissible, would it occur to anybody, actually it's permissible to go to the Prophet ﷺ, but I'm going to go to somebody else, one of the other companions instead. Would anybody think that? Not at all. It's inconceivable. Why on earth would you do that? If it was permissible to go to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ and ask him to take your dua to Allah, why would you even think about going to anybody else? The best of creation, the Prophet ﷺ, you're going to reject that and go to somebody else? So why did the companions do it then? Why did they go to Abbas? There's only one explanation. Because it wasn't allowed to go to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ and ask him. It wasn't allowed. That's why they went to Abbas. If it was allowed, would they have chosen Abbas over the Prophet ﷺ? Of course not. That proves clearly it wasn't allowed. That's why they went to Abbas instead. If it was allowed, it doesn't even make sense that they would still say, it's allowed, but forget that, we'll go to Abbas instead. Does that make any sense? None at all. So it proves it wasn't allowed to take the Prophet ﷺ as a wasila. Wasn't allowed to go to his grave and ask him, and take our dua to Allah, Ya Rasulullah. Wasn't allowed to do that. That's why they went to Abbas instead, radiallahu anhu. And that's clear. Nobody can argue with that. Nobody can argue with that. Anybody who says to you it's permissible to ask the Prophet ﷺ to take your dua to Allah, then say to them, why on earth would the companions have chosen anybody else over and above the Prophet ﷺ? The best of creation, past and future sins forgiven. The first of the people to cross the bridge on the day of judgment. The Prophet ﷺ, why would the companions have rejected that option and gone to anybody else, even Abu Bakr as-Siddiq? Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, is he comparable to the Prophet ﷺ? Not at all. Any of the companions, are they comparable to the Prophet ﷺ? Not at all. Even though they are the best of this ummah, they are not comparable to the Prophet ﷺ. All the other prophets are messengers. Are they comparable to the Prophet ﷺ? The Prophet ﷺ is superior to all of them. The best of creation. Would the companions have left the option of going to the best of creation and chosen somebody else? If it was allowed to go to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ? Not at all, no chance. If that was an option, without even a thought, you would go and take that option. Go to the best of creation. Why would you go to anybody else? So the fact that they didn't do that, shows you that they knew it's not even an option. It's not an option to go to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. It's haram. You cannot ask him to make a dua now. That's why they then thought, okay, in that case, who shall we ask? Who is a righteous person now, who is alive, who can ask? They said the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, Abbas, you make the dua. So this proves that it is impermissible to ask the Prophet ﷺ. Proves it. Because if it was allowed, then the people need to explain why the companions chose somebody else over and above the best of creation. And there is no explanation for that. Nobody would ever do that. 
you have the choice of the best of creation compared to anybody else, then why would you choose somebody else over the best of creation? The only explanation is because they knew that wasn't an option. It was not an option to go to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ and ask him. Hence, they looked for some other option, and that was Abbas, alive amongst them, righteous person making the dua for them. Then after that, we come to this first ayah in this chapter. وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَادْعُوهُ بِهَا Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the most beautiful of names. So call upon him via those names. Al-Husna means that they are at the pinnacle of perfection and beauty. Al-Husna, al-Baligha fil-Husni a'la. The highest level of beauty and perfection. The names of Allah. At the highest level of beauty and perfection. And as we've said before in previous lessons, we do not know the number of names of Allah. We cannot say the names of Allah are only 99. This is a mistake of the people. The names of Allah are not restricted to 99. They are more than 99. In the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, أَسْأَلُكَ بِكُلِّ اسْمٍ هُوَ لَكَ I ask you, O Allah, by every name that you have, سَمَّيْتَ بِهِ نَفْسَكَ That you named yourself with. أَوْ أَنزَلْتَهُ فِي كِتَابِكَ Or that you revealed in your book. أَوْ عَلَّمْتَهُ أَحَدًا مِنْ خَلْقِكَ Or you taught one of your creation. أَوْ إِسْتَأْثَرْتَ بِهِ فِي عِلْمِ الْغَيْبِ عِنْدَكَ Or the names that you kept hidden in the knowledge of the unseen. You kept hidden in the knowledge of the unseen certain names that we do not know of, what they, what they are and how many they are that Allah kept in the knowledge of the unseen. So the fact that Allah has kept certain names in the knowledge of the unseen indicates there are more than 99 and we don't know how many because we don't know how many names are kept in the knowledge of the unseen. So we can't put a figure on how many names of Allah there are. As for that narration, and we've spoken about it before, the narration in a tirmidhi where it mentions a list of 99 names. There's a hadith in Tirmidhi, where it lists out 99 names, lists them out. That hadith is not authentic. Many of the scholars have said there are issues in the chain of narration. So, with regards to the names of Allah, here Allah says or mentions about those people who do ilhad in the names of Allah. They do ilhad in the names of Allah. What is ilhad? The ilhad that they do. Different types. One meaning of doing ilhad in the names of Allah, as the ayah says, وَذَرُوا الَّذِينَ يُلْحِدُونَ فِي أَسْمَائِهِ Leave alone and abandon those people who do ilhad regarding the names of Allah. One of the meanings of ilhad is rejection of the names of Allah. People who reject the names of Allah, like the Jahmiyyah, people of innovation who reject the names of Allah, negate and reject the names of Allah. That is the greatest type of ilhad. The greatest type of ilhad is rejecting the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second type of ilhad is to distort the meanings of the names of Allah to something which is not the correct meaning. To distort the meanings of the names of Allah. For example, the Mu'tazila. 
Another group of deviation. The Mu'tazila, they affirm the names of Allah, but they negate the meanings, and they negate the attributes. So this is a type of ilhad, because we know that every name of Allah has an attribute. Every name of Allah has an attribute. So if Allah is as the all-hearing, that means Allah has the attribute of hearing, of sam'ah. Allah is al-basir, the seeing, therefore has the attribute of seeing. Not like these people of innovation who say Allah is the all-knowing, al-alim, but doesn't have knowledge. And He is the all-seeing, but doesn't have the attribute of seeing. That is foolishness. That is a type of ilhad. Accepting some of it, negating some of the others. That is a type of ilhad that some of the people of innovation did. So we say as Ahlul Sunnah, the names all have attributes. So Ar-Rahman indicates the attribute of mercy, Rahma. Al-Ghafoor indicates the attribute of Al-Maghfira, forgiveness. Al-Aziz indicates the attribute of Al-Izza, honor, power, strength. All of these names have derivatives, attributes that are indicated by them. So the first type of Ilhad is to reject the names altogether. The second type of Ilhad is to accept certain aspects and reject other aspects. So maybe they accept the names, but they reject the meanings of them, which is foolishness. How can you say Allah is the all-knowledgeable, but He doesn't have knowledge? Foolishness. Ilhad again. A third type of ilhad in the names of Allah is to take the names of Allah and use them for other things in creation. Just like the mushrikeen they did. The mushrikeen used to take the names of Allah and name their Idols after them. So for example, Allat, Al-Uzza, Al-Manat, the famous three idols of this. Allat is from the name of Allah, Al-Ilah. Allat is from the name of Allah, Al-Ilah. And Al-Uzza is from the name of Allah, Al-Aziz. And Manat, it is mentioned from the name of Allah, Al-Mannan. So the mushrikun took these names, they altered them, distorted them, and used them for their idols. That is a type of ilhad. The fourth type of ilhad is that a person inserts into the names of Allah names that are not actually from the names of Allah. If you start to say Allah has this name and that name and they are not from the names of Allah, you are affirming names to Allah which are not from the names of Allah, then you're doing ilhad too. Because we affirm what Allah affirmed. You do not affirm further names, additional names yourself. So if a person starts to doing that, that will also be a type of ilhad in the names of Allah. Then it is mentioned from Ibn Abi Hatim, عَنِ ibni Abbas يُلْحِدُونَ فِي أَسْمَائِهِ That the ayah when it says they do ilhad in the names of Allah, he said it means they do shirk. They do shirk with regards to the names of Allah. Because in another, another narration he said, سَمَّوا اللَّاتَ مِنَ الْإِلَاهِ وَالْعُزَّةَ مِنَ الْعَزِيزِ Because they named Allah from the name of Allah al-ilah, and al-uzzah from the name of Allah al-aziz. وَعَنِ الْأَعْمَشْ And Al-A'mash said, one of the types of ilhad is, يُدْخِلُونَ فِيهَا مَا لَيْسَ مِنْهَا They insert 
into the names of Allah, names that are not actually names of Allah. That is Ilhad also. Al-A'mash, Sulaiman ibn Mahran, one of the great scholars of that time from the Salaf, Sulaiman ibn Mahran, known as Al-A'mash famously. So now what, were, what have we learned from this chapter? We have learned there is a permissible type of wasila. That permissible type of wasila is firstly through your, your actions, your obedience, your worship. Seeking closeness to Allah through your obedience and worship. Secondly also, through the names of Allah, when you ask for forgiveness, call upon Allah by the name Al-Ghafoor, for example. When you're asking for mercy, call upon Allah Ar-Rahman, for example. So calling upon the names of Allah relevant to your dua is a type of wasila to your dua. Through the names of Allah Himself. The names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the third type of wasila you could say is asking somebody alive, a righteous man, make dua on behalf of us. Make dua for me, remember me in your duas. It's possible. But the scholars, they say, don't make a habit of that. Don't make any type of habit of that all the time, asking people, make dua for me. Make dua for yourself. One of the salaf, he was ill, and another one of the salaf came to visit him. So the one who was ill said to the one who came to visit him, make dua for me. The one who came to visit him said, make dua for yourself. Because he was ill. He said, you're ill. At this time of your illness, make dua and it's likely you'll be answered. Asking me to make dua, make dua yourself. You're ill. Make the dua and it's a time where you'll be answered. So make dua yourself. Do not be constantly always make dua for me, make dua for me, make dua for me to everybody. Make dua yourself and use the times of making dua. And use your obedience and your worship and do that as a means of seeking closeness to Allah. Then we also learned that there is an impermissible type of wasila, and that is going through the awliya as they claim, saying that these awliya will do it for you and they will be able to answer your dua for you. They'll be able to take your dua to Allah. Go to the graves of the dead awliya. Go to the graves of the prophets and the messengers. And we know that is haram from the example, the proof which was Ibn Abbas or Abbas himself, Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, when the Prophet ﷺ had died, the companions didn't go to his grave and ask him, because they knew as haram. That's why they looked for somebody else and they decided on Abbas. Also, we have learned in this chapter the affirmation of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah has names, beautiful and perfect, at the pinnacle of perfection and beauty. And that Allah's names are not restricted. To 99, rather the names of Allah are greater in number than that. And the proof, one of the proofs that Allah's names are not restricted to 99 is, the hadith, when the Prophet ﷺ used to say, I ask you by all of the names you have named yourself with, you have revealed in your books, you have taught somebody in your creation, or names that you have kept, in the knowledge of the unseen. So there are many names we don't know of yet. Therefore we cannot say Allah only has 99 names. Uh, and also we have learned that the names of Allah are tawqifi. Meaning that you can only affirm names to Allah which are affirmed in the Quran and the Sunnah. You cannot affirm names to Allah that you make up yourself. You cannot affirm names to Allah yourself. Only what is found in the Quran and the Sunnah. 
Because if you start to affirm additional names, that would be a type of Ilhad. That would be a type of Ilhad. So we'll conclude upon that section today. That is the chapter regarding the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Next week's chapter carries on with this theme and it is regarding As-Salamu ala Allah. Saying the Salam upon Allah. What is the ruling upon that? That it is not permissible. We'll start that chapter next time. And the chapter after that too, we'll do together two of them. The chapter regarding Allahumma ghfirli in shit. When you make a dua, don't say, Oh Allah, forgive me if you want. You don't make a dua in that way. You don't say, Oh Allah, forgive me if you want. That is not permissible, so we'll discuss that next time too, inshallah. Mm. How, how, how did they say it? Mm. I don't think this is a correct way to do it. So they say in, uh, in the du'as, basically in English like you say, for the sake of your Prophet Muhammad forgive me. For the sake of your beloved Prophet Muhammad forgive me. Those types of du'as and wordings of that nature are not evidenced. It is not something that is mentioned that you do it like that for the oh Allah for the sake of your Prophet Muhammad forgive me. These types of things are not mentioned. Again, that is t- seeking wasila through the Prophet. You're seeking intercession through the Prophet Oh, for the sake of your Prophet, oh Allah forgive me. And that isn't the way. That is not mentioned. Rather, you say it via the names of Allah. Call upon Him. So that is not correct. You could also say uh, because of my love of Muhammad I love being an act of worship. And then... That's a, maybe a bit different. Yeah. But uh, you probably wouldn't want to open up those types of doors for people. Mm. Correct. It's not. It's not from the. We did this chapter before. Remember, it is not the sunnah to repetitively visit the grave of the Prophet The companions never used to do that. Companions lived there in Medina, but they only used to go occasionally. Occasionally, every now and again, to go give the salam to the grave, and that's it. Wasn't regularly all the time at the grave of the Prophet so that is not sunnah to go there regularly. The hadith, we mentioned it. لا تتخذوا قبر عيدا Don't take my grave as a place of repetitive visitation. Salaf even used to say, if you're going to make dua, don't stand near the grave. Even if you turn around and face the Kaaba, don't do it. They said, don't stand next to the grave. Even if you're going to turn and face the Kaaba, make dua to Allah, just don't do it next to the grave. Go stand somewhere else in the mosque. Don't let people think you're standing there because there's barakah or something making dua there. Go stand somewhere else and face the Qibla, make dua. So even when somebody's doing it legitimately upon Tawheed, facing the Kaaba, making the Dua, the Salaf used to say, just because you stood next to the grave, people might still get some uh, wrong understanding, so go stand somewhere else, to that level. No, it's simple, there's nothing much to it. You go to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, face the grave, As-salamu alayka ya ayyuhan nabi, in the simplest form. Then move over, As-salamu alayka ya Abu Bakr, As-salamu alayka ya Umar. That's it. In the simplest form, that's all you have to do. Then there's uh, additional uh, du'as you can read, but in the simplest form, that's all it is. As-salamu alayka ya ayyuhan nabi. The, pe- the, people, <coughs> the people go to the peers of Allah that are alive uh, to ask them. Uh, and they bring this uh, narration about Abbas. This is okay to do it. So people go to these, uh, the peer as they call them, these awliya of Allah as they call them, 
But these people, as uh, the scholars have mentioned, there is a difference between the awliya of Allah and the awliya of a shaitan. The awliya of Allah in reality are the people of tawheed. So these individuals who are upon all types of grave worship themselves and all type of intercession and shafa'ah and all things, deviations in aqidah, deviations and all types of things, it is haram to go to them. And even when those people claim we're going to them because of this narration, it is not permissible for them to do so because their actions from the very beginning are all in opposition to the sunnah. So how are you going to tell them to go to these people? They are not awliya of Allah, they are awliya of a shaitan. The ones who open shirk and bid'ah and all types of things. All of these are uh, prayer-related questions, congregational prayer-related questions. Uh, if a son, and the last one is, if a son or brother repeatedly tells his mother or sister to observe the hijab, but they don't, will he be sinful for this? If a son or a brother repeatedly tells his mother or sister to observe the hijab depends on the, the what the what the level of responsibility of this male in the household is if he doesn't have any authority then all he can do is tell them and if they don't do it it's not a sin for him then but if he is the person of authority in the house he is the elder of the house maybe the father has passed away for example if he is the elder of the house and he is telling the others his sisters etc to do it then they have to do it they have to listen they should be wearing the hijab. This is from the, the religion. It's not permissible for them to oppose that. All these other uh, related questions about the congregational prayer, inshallah, we'll do them next time. All the first four parts about the congregational prayer, inshallah, we'll leave them till the next time. So how, how would you basically answer? Uh, Some scholars, they say, this dua isn't to be done after the death of the Prophet Anyway, they say, you say, Assalamu, assalamu ala nabi, not Assalamu alayka. So that is one answer. Some scholars, they say, you don't do that dua at all. Others have said it's legitimate and you can do it. But they have explained that this is not because you are now calling upon the Prophet it is because of the other narration we covered here too. Whenever you give salam upon the Prophet the the angels deliver that salam to the Prophet So the scholar said that's all it is. It is not an affirmation that you is alive and listening and you're talking and answering your dua. This is from the deviation of the people. So that is simple as that. That you give the salam upon him, the angels they deliver the salam to the Prophet hence you're addressing him. But it is not an affirmation of intercession or wasila etc. So we'll carry on next week then inshallah. We'll conclude that for today.